Thoth Hermes podcast. Welcome to the world of the Western esoteric tradition. Friends and listeners, welcome to this new episode of the Thoth Hermes podcast. Today is February the 2nd, 2020. Two, 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 two. Sounds like a special day for a numerologist, doesn't it? Our episode today is not season two, episode two, I'm afraid. Sorry about that. So no match here. <laughs> this is season four, episode five already. And it is named Sorcery, Strategy, Spirituality. And our guest in today's show is American author, teacher and sorcerer, Jason Miller. My name is Rudolf. I am the creator and host of the Thought Hermes podcast, and it is a pleasure for me to welcome you yet again to another episode here from my place near Austrian's beautiful capital, Vienna. In fact, this episode bears internal production number 50, but it's only one of 46 episodes that are out there to be heard. Well, numerology again here, because four of them have already been taken out of circulation because they were outdated or just short announcements that are not valid anymore. But what that means that soon there will be the 50th episode out there. And I have something very special for that in mind already. If all goes well, technically, the real number 50 will be published on March the 1st. And if all goes well, this will be the very first video interview on the Thoughts Armies podcast. So keep fingers crossed and stay tuned to get more info. And no worries for the audio-only listeners. There will always be also an audio-only version available. Some people just find it nice to see me and my interview partner, so here we go. We'll give them a treat as well. But in the meantime, if you like what you hear here, and if you have not yet heard all of the other episodes, no problem. They are all available on different sources. Of course, there are all the classical podcast providers. I only name a few of them. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, you name it. In fact, once again, please give me feedback if you listen to the Thought Hermes podcast on other outlets than ones that I did not name. I am always keen to know where we are distributed. And yes, the Thought Hermes podcast is also on YouTube on its own channel. But for the moment, audio only. In order to get in touch or also to get all the episodes in another way, you can go to the Thoth Hermes website, www.thoshermes.com, which is 
T-H-O-T-H-E-R-M-E-S dot com. All episodes, a possibility to leave me voicemail, but also a contact form. Let's communicate. But of course, there are also all the show notes for the episodes, and they contain an awful lot of interesting information. There's something else you could do if you like what you hear. On the website, there is also that famous donation button and the also famous link to my Patreon page. You can also go directly on patreon.com and search for the Thought Hermes podcast there. We need your support. Not to pay me coffee and meals, but to pay for the cost of running a podcast like this. Hosting, domains, equipment, and all other stuff that assures that the content is vivid and interesting, brought to you in a nice quality and at high speed. So, please, do become a patron. On Patreon, this starts at $2 per show, limited to three paid shows a month. So, from $6 per month onwards, you are with us and will receive our shows in the minute they are released with an email link on a special channel. Thank you for your support. Okay, friends and listeners. Also, this episode will start with music, as always. I was in the mood for some epic sound today, and you will hear that in all three upcoming musical pieces. The first one is completely in tune, uh, well, nice thing to say about music. Well, it's in tune with the title of this show, Sorcery, Strategy, Spirituality. The piece is called The Sorcerer and has been produced by Fired Earth Music. And, well, I could imagine you're going to like it. So, without further ado, here comes The Sorcerer.
The Sorcerer by Fired Earth Music, a perfect introduction to what now follows. In our interview, we welcome somebody who interestingly calls himself a sorcerer, sometimes also a witch or a magician, but honestly, I am not aware of many people who call themselves a sorcerer. Today, I'm speaking to American author, teacher and sorcerer, Jason Miller. Jason and I had a very relaxed talk from his home in the US East, starting off with my usual question about what made Jason to be the person in the world of the occult that he is today. And we will go far back together to his fifth year and to his very first experiences. Jason has walked along many different paths like hoodoo, tantra, paganism and of course what is today called the western esoteric tradition. In this talk we also very openly discuss the matter of proposing magic as a business, earning your life with it and what that means. One of Jason's specialities, I would say, is also the fact of working at the intersection of metaphysical influence and financial matters. So it is very interesting to hear his take on those questions. As always, I will come back to you after about 30 minutes into the interview, because then we are going to take a musical break. But for now, follow me into the realm of strategic sorcery. Let's join Jason Miller. Here comes the interview. I'm very happy to welcome today on the Thoth Hermes podcast, Jason Miller. Jason, who kind of has four lives <laughs> and he will talk to uh, us about that. No, I'm joking. But um, Jason Miller is, of course, very well known through his strategic sorcery activities, strategic sorcery website. And we're going to hear all about this today. And I'm saying hello to Jason. Great that you have joined us today. Hi there. Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. So, um, Jason, yes, I just spoke about your four lives. Um, no, I'm joking, but I said uh, on your website, it says you're an author, a teacher, a consultant, a sorcerer, and we're going to talk about those four and maybe even more facets of yourself. But let's start with the beginning. I would be interested, and I'm sure our audience is very much interested in how you became in that field of sorcery, teaching and so on, how you became who you are today. Where did it all start and what made you the Jason Miller that you are today? Well, um, you know, <clears throat> I, I I I guess to to borrow a phrase from Gordon White uh, and, and how he started every interview. I was a weird kid. <laughs> yes, um, he says that often, right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, as you know, as a weird kid at five years old, I had a a very specific experience uh, mm -hmm. on the playground. Of, of looking up and not seeing reality anymore, almost as if everything 
that that we normally perceive was just laying down at my feet like a painting. Mm-hmm. And this triggered a whole slew of spirit encounters and things that eventually went away. And uh, but it always stuck with me. It always nagged at me like like that uh, little court nagging ping in the back of your mind that that uh, Morpheus describes to Neo in the Matrix. Like, you know, there's always this little thing is like this is not what you're perceiving is not the whole picture. Mm hmm. And so as I got older, I took an interest in religion and spirituality, and and that was not really part of my upbringing at all. Uh, My parents were not religious, uh, and and so I started going to church and started investigating mysticism and then got involved in all sorts of esoteric subjects as as a teenager in in, Mm – I mean, I was grew up in the middle of New Jersey in sort of a, a rural area of, New, of of southern New Jersey. And before I was 21, I had found mentors in Western esotericism, in African-American root working or hoodoo, in uh, Tibetan Buddhist Tantra, uh, all... And, and paganism, witchcraft and so on, all before I was 21, all without having to, to really travel. All of this was just sort of fell in my lap mm-hmm. the moment that I said, I'm looking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the start of it. It was it was this thing that uh, it, it took all my interest and all my energy and everything else just looked pale by comparison. Mm-hmm. And so when it came to high school and college and things like that, eventually all the things that I should have been studying to make a decent middle-class life for myself fell by the wayside. <laughs> I see. But may I ask you, when you were five or maybe even later when you were at, at college or high school, did you talk to your parents about that or did you just keep it for yourself and go along your own way? Or how did that you know, go? I, I did. I talked to my parents when I was younger about it, mm. uh, you know, back when I was five, six. And, and they dismissed it as childlike imaginary friend type play and and who knows maybe part of it was the, yeah, even, yeah you know the mind has a way of taking even authentic spiritual and psychic experiences and then kind of running away with it so mm-hmm. um i i'm certainly willing to entertain part of that but um and then as a teenager as i started to get more into the esoteric and the occult i hit it for about a year or two mm-hmm. you know Mm-hmm. Um, but then eventually I stopped hiding my interest and I just figured, you know, if people are going to get upset about me playing Dungeons and Dragons and video games anyway, I may as well just go the whole nine and, <laughs> uh, practice witchcraft. So, um, you know, it started off, it was a little, parents were like, oh, that's, you know, pretty weird and, and not uh, not something we're against, but not something we're necessarily for. Yeah. But 
I was good at it, you see. So soon teachers at school were calling me into their, you know, I remember when librarians called me down to the library uh, to ask me to help them with a spell to find misplaced money that one of them had, <laughs> really? had you know, school money that one of them had, had lost and would have to pay back. Uh-huh. Um, so I started to get results that people couldn't deny. And at that point it was just sort of like, okay, well, you know, my parents weren't real hands-on anyway. So by the time yeah. it came to college and whatnot, they, neither one of them went to college. So they didn't have much to say yeah. about my extracurricular yeah. activities. Yeah. Um, but eventually I'm one of the few people that ended up doing exactly what they said they would do in high school. I, I do in fact make a nice living that supports a family by being a sorcerer. So that, that's I find it very interesting that already at that stage at college, high school, people would, would see that you had results because I expected when you started saying that, that the librarian said, well, uh, can you tell me a bit, you know, about content, about have you read that book and what does it say or something like that? But no, it was really uh, magical results, so to speak. Yeah, no, it was, it was magical results. Mm. Um, You know, I I had those specific librarians I met at some kind of parapsychology continuing education thing mm -hmm. um, at like the community center. Right. And so we would do some psychic experiments there. And that's when they, you know, kind of caught on to the the idea that I was a witch and that I could actually get some of these things done. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see. Well, yeah, I see. Of course, in that case, they have, they experienced it also from that from that angle already. Right. right. And then, of and course, teachers are, are very much, you know, a lot of a lot of educators are into this. And I'm very fortunate that one of my teachers, she's no longer teaching, but I'm not going to reveal her name. Uh, right. But she went on a, out on a limb when I was 15 and showed some interest in tarot cards. She bought me a deck of tarot cards. Okay. <clears throat> um, which at the time seemed very special to me. I had, I, you know, I couldn't drive yet. So I really had no idea that you could just get these at pretty much any bookstore. Right. So when she showed up with a, with a deck of Rider Waite cards, this was really like uh, an art, the height of an arcane object. <laughs> <laughs> well, may I ask what, what years are we talking about? Oh, goodness. Uh, so I guess 1986, 87. Right. Yeah, so, 1987, so, 88, actually. So before, before the internet and all that really became a place where you could find those things, not, not only tarot cards, but also people to exchange with or documents or yeah. reading and stuff. Yeah. How, you know, how did you get your reading? How did you get your stuff to, to study? How did that happen? Well, you know, um, so... First, the the library at uh, Jackson High School in New Jersey and and also the, the county library were very well stocked with some really good books. Okay. So they had, for instance, the Man, Myth and Magic Encyclopedia set in with their reference 
encyclopedias and things like that. Okay. Um, I got my first copy of Mastering Witchcraft mm-hmm. from the the Jackson Library. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, right away, Paul Hewson. Um, I got to read some Donald Tyson books, um, modern magic by Donald Michael Craig. So Mm -hmm. a lot of these were just really instructive. And then once I got a driver's license or even friends with driver's license, the world just opens up. Sure. And so I would go to the, we had a local Renaissance fair and that's always a good place to meet people. Yeah. Uh, when I started to find the occult stores, I started hanging out at those stores and, and just finding ways to make myself useful, ingratiating myself to the owners mm-hmm. in any way that I could just to have an excuse to hang out, talk shop, meet people. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, you know, uh, in a way I'm jealous that, uh, younger people now have just st- the entire occult world at their fingertips. <laughs> um, but at the other, on the other hand, there is something to be said for information. They get a little information overload. So whereas we would maybe read a book or two that would teach you some rituals, and then you had to try those rituals. Like there was not an infinite amount of stuff to read. So you had to get going. You had to just this, you know, mastering white witchcraft by Al Manning might not be the best book in the world, (laughs) but if it has something in there, you can try. You're going to take it for a spin because there's no other game in town. Of course. And in a way, I don't know how about you, but in almost any of those books, there is at least two pages that help you along and that bring you further. That just makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And, you know, the other thing is, is that the world, because there wasn't this this glut of information and this this huge cyber machine that that Mm. these days seems to be walling people off from one another rather than connecting them. Mm-hmm. All the esoteric people got together and shared. So you might find yourself in an open circle with a Satanist and a Wiccan and, you know, a, a, an Eastern Orthodox Christian who does some magical stuff on the side, right. all of them kind of getting along and, and sharing. And so recently, uh, Someone had said that, you know, they don't like my material because I talk about energy and and new age things like that. (laughs) And so some of what I talk about regarding energy is not new age at all, unless you want to call, you know, 12th century tantricas new agers, which (laughs) I don't think is a good argument. Not really. (laughs) But then some of it might very well be the same stuff new agers draw from because like I said, in those early stages, I would run across things that work those two pages, like you just talked about mm-hmm. in that yeah. book or that one meditation from this, you know, there's a meditation I do. I'm teaching it to a group of people now called sand piling. Mm-hmm. And I got it from probably the most new age woman I think I've ever met. And, um, it was the only thing that I really took away from her class, but my God, what a wonderful tool that was. Right. So I'm not giving that up just so I can 
I don't know, get street cred with the grimoire crowd or something. No, I exactly know what you're talking about. And I wouldn't, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I have one of those Amark meditations that I still use every day. It was in my very early stages that I discovered it, but it helped me then. And it's still useful, you know, from time to time. So absolutely. I have to ask you that question now because we may, we'll get back to your live stream after that, of course. But um, talking about New Age, how would you define new age? What is new age for you? Can you give me a definition that you were happy? Oh, with? goodness. I know, I, I know a tricky you one. You know, I don't even know how I would, how I would define new age. Mm. New age seems to be any of the stuff that occultists are skeptical of. And most of it rightly so. Right. So, you know, lizard people ruling the country, uh, aliens from the plate, you know, uh, right. that kind of stuff. Uh, right. Mm -hmm. Drunvalo, Melchizedek, flower of life type stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, some of it has some use. Some of it doesn't. Uh, some of it, we maybe we just think of it as new age because we're snobs. But right. I don't I, I try not to define things that I'm not a part of, you right. know, because right. if it's if it's good spiritual food for somebody, then it is. And, and yeah, maybe absolutely. I can look and say it's it's not. But that's my opinion. So Right. But I think it's a very wise thing not to define those things too much when you are not part of it. Absolutely. I, I couldn't. That, that's a very, very good point. Yeah. Okay, back to back to Jason Miller now. So you were at the end of your of your schooling time then. Okay, where did you take it from there? Uh, well, you know, I I I just I kept practicing. So I I only did two years of college, and I tripped off to Europe for a few months. Did the backpack thing. Mm -hmm. uh, met some wonderful people, but of course, you know, I, I had an eye towards visiting some of the occult sites and, and meeting some, uh, I didn't meet too many of the, of the big players at the time, but I at least got to, you know, roam around, see Stonehenge, see Newgrange, mm. I, you know, got into Doth, even the, the, the mound while it was still being excavated. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> so before it was open to the public, I got to meditate and do a little ritual in the Doth Mound, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, and then after that, I settled in Philadelphia. Uh, I, I, I played around with the OTO a little bit uh, at first in New York. And then uh, me and a guy who goes by Freighter Xanthius, I won't give his real name, started mm -hmm. a group in Philadelphia group that's still around today called Philasis. Okay. Uh, I think they're a lodge or an oasis now. Um, so I met a lot of wonderful, wonderful people. And though I'm not a member of the OTO, uh, it was anymore. It's, it was such a great tool to meet people and network uh, can't say anything bad about it either. So. Right. That, that was late eighties, early nineties. Then, if I if I yeah. So this yeah, was right. this was sort of we fast forwarded now to the to the mid nineties. Mid nineties. You know? Okay. So mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. 
mid nineties. And then it was through some connections there that I got interested in tantric Buddhism. Um, in fact, it was some connections there, but mostly also a, a psychedelic laden conversation with Michelin Linden. <laughs> okay. Um, that, that really, uh, set me, I, I had decided I need to go investigate Tibetan Tantra. Right. And so this was at a festival in, in upstate New York called the Summerhawk Festival. It was a Thelenic festival. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to some voodoo workshops run by Louis Martinet. And I was actually considering mm-hmm. going to Haiti before all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I did those workshops with Louis Martinet, it was kind of like Legba was like, hey, listen, this is this is probably not for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, it's great. The New Orleans stuff, the, the voodoo stuff, but you probably don't want to go to Haiti. And then I was like, well, what where should I be going now? You know what? I've done the Holy Guardian Angel thing. I've, I've done, uh, you know, and now the basically the first and, and main loa that you contact is saying, hey, don't go and, and don't go to Haiti and get initiated. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was that night that Michelin Linden's uh, that Louis Martinet's wife, Michelin Linden, sat down and, and it talked to me about her recent experiences with the Kala Chakra. Mm-hmm. And so I went back and I called my old friend, John Reynolds, who goes by Lama Vajranatha. He was the first Westerner ever to. Uh, ordained or consecrated as a Nakba, uh, okay. a Tibetan sorcerer, a non-celibate. Uh, is, that the, is that the burn tradition or is that something else? So, no, it's 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 part of the Nyingma tradition, but okay. he also studies and translates Bon. So mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. both Bon and Buddhist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it didn't take long before I was traipsing off to Nepal. Um, okay. For you know, half a year in between '99 and 2000, and then after that, uh, that's that's when I weirdly, you know, first made contact with Hikate. <clears throat> came back to the states, settled down, got married, uh, started putting together this Hikate Arcana, mm-hmm. and then opened up shop. You know, I, I wrote my first book uh, and and it was after the first book and after having kids and realizing, hey, you know, if I'm not going to be if I'm not going to be a true non-materialist, if I'm not going to be a monk or a yogi or, or something like that, then I mm-hmm. need to shit or get off the pot as far as uh money and career goes. Yes. And so, you know, I'm looking down the barrel of, well, now I've got twins and a wife and I need to either basically start putting my energy into a traditional career, which would mean curtailing a lot of my magical activity, or I have to make this, or I have to do this wholeheartedly and throw myself all the way in Mm -hmm. and take it seriously just like every other endeavor in, in human affairs. Sure. Because I had seen a lot of the authors that I grew up with, um, 
grow old and, and, and poor and having given their lives over to communities that were not financially supporting them anymore, or, and they get a little old and, you know, maybe they're not as able to travel and, and whatnot, or, and sleeping on couches and floors no longer looks as good. Yeah. And I said, you know, that's no, there's gotta be a better way to. And so I started strategic sorcery, the company. Right. Let's, 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 let's start teaching for money. Let's, let's mm-hmm. take this seriously. And right. uh, let's, you know, that way I'm available. I don't have to be like, well, you know, I'll get to teaching you one day in between taking care of my family and my job. No, I, I can teach you now because it is my job. Right. Now, now I have to ask you a difficult question because of course there are, people and groups or, or a current, let's say, who would say um, you should not make money out of teaching occult things because that takes away your power or whatever. It, it, it's, it's a, they see it as a metaphysical problem, not as a moral problem, more a metaphysical problem. What, what would you reply to them? What, what's your take on that? You, you know what I mean? I mean, you, you have sure you've heard that. Yes. Oh yeah. I've heard it recently. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I get that every time I start, you know, uh, I, I start advertising anything I offer. Somebody mm-hmm. comes along and, and has to say that there, you know, mm-hmm. so what do I say to that? I say, <laughs> I don't know if that came through audio, but it was the, uh, you know, sticking my tongue out. Uh, okay. So I just saying we had, did not have a problem with our line. Now it was really Jason who did that. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. so, you know, but, but more seriously, it, yeah. it is <sighs> these people who say this are, are a, they're buying books So what they're saying is it's okay to sell the magic in a book Mm. because a book is cheap, Uh, but it's not okay to take more time and get deeper involved in training people Mm. because that is somehow unspiritual. So where's the line? That doesn't make any sense. Right. Right. And, and it, it, you know, people think about sacred things and taking away the whole idea that there's a little bit of like Christianity in there with its ideas about simony and so on. Think about martial arts. People pay martial arts are sacred. They're spiritual arts. People pay to learn them. And they should, because if you didn't pay the guy who's teaching you, he's not going to have the time to teach you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and on a completely different level in psychology or um, psychotherapy, uh, which to me is a very spiritual approach, even if you, if you don't like it, but it is, it is there. If you don't pay your psychotherapist, they say, at least the Freudians say it won't work. Right. It's, it's absolutely true. And let me tell you something. Uh, 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 the, the power of doing it as a business is something I'm, I'm actually, I'm really passionate about. It's not just like, I'm like happy that I get to do this. 
it's something I actually I'm really like as a model of doing these things. I'm very passionate about it mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. One. People are getting paid one way or the other. So if you join an order or a group, the people at the top of that are somehow getting paid. Mm-hmm. I, maybe they're getting paid with donations and, and you can say, oh, well, it's not business because it's all donated. Mm-hmm. But those donations come with either favors or work attached mm-hmm. or favoritism, or maybe they're not getting paid with money. They're getting paid with adoration. They're, they're, they get to puff their chest out and be the big man who leads whatever group. Right. Or they get to uh, basically, you know, hit on people uh, and, and, and look you know, hunt for sexual partners that way. Right. Um, and we've, we've seen no shortage of that. Recently. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, llamas and, and other spiritual teachers falling left and right to the, mm-hmm. to the me too movement as they should, by the mm-hmm. way, that's yeah. not, absolutely not a criticism of that movement. It's absolutely it's, with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's abs- as they should. The other thing is it holds everyone accountable. It holds students accountable and they like it when mm. they, they do. Honestly, I held meditation classes when I first moved to Philadelphia. They were free. Held them at my home. And I had people come and they would come for one and then they would skip a couple weeks and they would come back for another. And it was always this revolving door of a few people here, a few people there. And it was fun, but you couldn't get anywhere. You couldn't build anything because there was no consistency. There was no dedication. A woman that owned a store called Hand of Aries, Mm -hmm. she called me and said, why don't you offer this class at my shop? We'll charge, I forget what even we charged, and we'll split the money. And I said, sure. Twice the amount of people showed up and they showed up for every single class. Right. And so where am I doing the most good? I, th- I think I'm doing the most good at that store, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and as for the teacher, you know, it holds the teacher accountable. If I'm not Getting any if I can't point to the thing that I'm getting out of it that I need from you from the student, right? Then you can be like, hey, you know, uh, you promised me such and such a lesson, and I'll be mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'll get to it when I get to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm a busy yeah. guy, you yeah. know. Yeah, as it is, I'm, and listen, I'm I'm late with things. I'm, I'm late with a lesson for, for a class that I'm uh, teaching right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not that I'm perfect. It's not that I'm not late. Uh, it, it's, you know, yeah. it, it's definitely, it happens, especially in the first cycle of a course, like as I'm writing the course and we're doing it live and I'm adjusting then, but it gets done or it gets refunded. You know, right, right. Uh, so there's there's I'm held accountable as well. 
And I think that's a great model. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's how it should be done in more and more quarters. And it is. Uh, so I'm happy to see that. Yeah, no, I'm glad we're discussing that because that's a point which unfortunately is, is rarely touched. You know, people don't want to talk about it either way. <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy you, you speaking so open and open-minded about that. Thank you. All right. Very interesting points Jason is making here and certainly up to some discussion. By the way, why not using more often that possibility of commenting on the website or also of asking me questions, which I can also forward to our interview guests, if you think. I would really like to have a bit more interaction with you guys out there. So drop me a line, comment, give me hints or questions, whatever. I'm looking forward to those messages. So now let's go for that musical break for our piece of music here. I promised you epic music and epic music you will get. Audio Machine created a very interesting piece based on a famous classical piece of music by my compatriot Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, taken from his Requiem. Both Mozart's composition and this piece are called Lacrimosa. And those of you who know the former will easily recognize why. And the others, well, you just enjoy a great piece of music. Lacrimosa.
La Crimosa by Audio Machine, based on Mozart's Requiem. Quite impressive. And now let's return to Jason Miller. We now talk about his strategic sorcery company, about the Black School of St. Cyprian, about mindfulness and about his books, among other things. I think that in this interview we have touched many interesting and very basic subjects which will interest many of you. And I like the very open-minded approach that Jason has to these questions. After the interview there will immediately follow our third piece of music for today, after which I will return with my announcement of our next episode. The last musical piece for today as epic as the others, is called Advectus Superi, Dark Magic Music by Peter Gundry. But before that, here we go again and meet Jason Miller. Well, we spoke about the sorcerer. Um, I don't know, I'm not sure if we already finished with the sorcerer. I mean, we never probably will be. But I mean, if there's something more to say about your life and your practice, your uh, before we go deeper into teaching and, and consulting and, and, and your different your different approaches within that, is there anything else that you would like to underline in your personal practice in what you were Today, maybe as a as a sorcerer, how you see yourself? Oh wow! Well, um, my my practice does change uh, from from month to month. Mm -hmm. I've got my my main practices involve a system of Hecatean magic and mm -hmm. a system of Cyprianic magic. That, that encompasses extremes of, of Christian magic as well as satanic magic mm -hmm. uh, like, that meet in the, in the figure of St. Cyprian and uh, drift over into each of, of those. In addition to that, I upkeep my commitments uh, with my tantric practice, uh, mainly involving Dzogchen meditation and purba. Mm -hmm. So, you know, every day, no matter what, which of those areas I'm focusing in, uh, I have basic commitments to all of them, but then there's one that is, is the focus of, of that time, that season, that year, however long it is. But every day there are offerings made every day. There is meditation Every day there's internal energy work and every day uh, there's prayer. Yeah. So when you say how those are aimed can differ, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure. When you say your practice changes from month to month, that does that mean it evolves steadily or more or less steadily? Or is it cyclic? Do things come back regularly? How, how would you experience that? It, it can be cyclic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't care how many traditions somebody is involved in. Ultimately, they have one practice because you only have one brain, one mind. Sure. Um, and so whether you have 
six different altars at your house for six different things you've been initiated into, it all meets at the altar of the mind. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why I have these different aspects. But if I'm delving into a specific mystery that's unfolding, then I have to kind of I have like let's say I am uh, involved in some kind of a Luciferian unfolding of a mystery or, or teaching. Mm-hmm. I have to keep my commitments to Tantra and to Hecate and so on and so forth, but in the most minimal way possible so that I can focus on the arcana that is unfolding itself in front of me or that I'm utilizing the mm-hmm. most or learning or teaching uh, the most. And so that's, it, it really is need based more right. than, and of course everything always evolves, but I like to, it's cyclical, but the evolution makes those circles into spirals. So <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Well, that, that's a good, good image. Just, yeah. It's, it's, it's both. Yeah, absolutely. Spiraling up, uh, hopefully up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, one point before we go to, to, to strategic sorcery, um, you mentioned Tantra, you mentioned earlier, uh, uh, earlier things like hoodoo or paganism. Um, how, How does that for you personally work together? I mean, you just mentioned the six altars and you have to kind of do what you need at that moment. But how? Well, I don't have six altars. No, no, not you, not you. But you mentioned that possibility of doing that. Um, But how how do things together? Are they different aspects of the same path for you or are they really different paths? How would you how would you see that? Well, there's two aspects to everything. There's the the symbol set, which encompasses the the spirits, the names, the passwords, and and the sim the literal symbols, the culture, and so on. Mm-hmm. And there is the technical aspect of it. So, which really insists of what you do with those things. Mm-hmm. To me, the technical aspect is universal. So, for instance, if, if, if you make a great study of African-American folk magic, uh, mm-hmm. root work, hoodoo, um, you will learn a lot of stuff that is particular to the ancestors of African-American people. And it has to be acknowledged as such. You can't work mm-hmm. with high John the Conqueror root and bad mouth black yeah. books at the same yeah. time. No, like, no, sure. It, sure. it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it is part and parcel. Mm-hmm. However, you will also learn a hell of a lot about working with magical links that is applicable to say ceremonial magic that you could import into ceremonial magic to increase your success rate and, and get better results. So, you know, you, a lot of times I see people doing magic where they're raising energy or they're praying or they're doing ceremony 
but there's no there's no dirt involved there's no oil there's no links mm. and so being able to study how powders are laid how oils are applied how uh personal concerns are gathered and used um how candles are baptized to stand in for a target and and so on which is not particular to African-American magic. I mean, these things exist in, in, you know, I was just recently reading the, the Swedish black books that were collected and, and a lot of the same methodology is in there, Mm -hmm. but you'll, you'll see how these things are applied and, and it can be applied universally. Similar things, the, the multiplication of offerings in Tantra the use of inner fire practice. These are things that can be utilized by anyone. Um, And so if it's a way of holding the breath, of holding the mind, of of laying something out, uh, that to me is fair game. And it's all part of that one quintessential thing that is magic. Mm -hmm. Uh, If, however, we're talking about the loa, or, uh, you know, a particular tantric dakini or a saint or something like that, then one has to respect the idea that these things came up within a tradition. And they are, even if you take them out of that tradition, even if you um, do something new with them, they still came from there. They, and you have to do something with that. You either have to say, well, I am sticking with the tradition, or you have to say, respectfully, I feel like these powers are begging to move beyond what is traditional and I'm going to do it. And then be honest and clear about it and just say, call it something different. You know, if you do some kind of wacky thing you made up, about mm-hmm. you know with with uh, Baron someday, then you don't get to call yourself a Hong God because that means <laughs> something in a particular context. Sure, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's you know I'm not into policing people's practices, but yeah, uh, and and I'm I think people have taken the whole cultural appropriation thing a little bit too far at times. Mm-hmm. To the but I do worry about cultural misappropriation. That's where I'm like, no, 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 of course. you don't, yeah, yeah. you don't get to say this is that when it's yeah, clearly yeah. not. It's a bit the same as you said earlier that the, the internet uh, has started walling people more off rather than linking them. It goes a bit of the same into the same direction. What you were just saying, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. It does. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Right. Well, now let's delve into into you as a teacher and consultant a bit more. Um, we have mentioned strategic sorcery, and that's, of course, also the great header of your teachings. Um, also, your your website is called strategicsorcery.net. So uh, I see the lesson list here in front of me, right? And there is one lesson which is called 10 Principles of Strategic Sorcery, somewhere in the middle. Um, could you could you maybe just tell us in the f- in a few in a few minutes or whatever you need um, what is strategic sorcery? How would you define that? What why did you name it also like that? Well, uh, strategic sorcery is 
at, at the most base gross level, it is the name of the of, of a limited liability company. So straight up, that is <laughs> that is the name that I, that it is incorporated under, that is trademarked, and that I pay taxes under. Mm-hmm. So uh, in a in a you know in a real way, that is uh, you know I I don't hide that or shy away from that. Sure. Uh, or try to make it more mystical. Mm-hmm. And so the reason I chose the name is because. I'm interested in two things, whatever, whatever kind of magic we're talking about. I am interested in, in two main things. I've already mentioned one of them, and that is how do we increase our success rate with Mm -hmm. magic? Mm -hmm. Because you can be a person who does magic and say, yes, magic works. It's worked enough for me to say, I'm, I'm pretty damn sure it's too often to be coincidence. Magic works. Mm -hmm. But there's still a success rate. We all have magical failures. I've never met someone who's honest that hasn't had magical failures. Mm-hmm. And if people mm-hmm. haven't had magical failures, they are either lying or deluding themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's the idea of how do we increase that success rate? And there's a bit of strategy to that. Let's approach this with an eye that, that we use towards everything else. Instead of just taking what we're told, let's think about this strategically. How do we optimize things? How do we, how do we minimize detriments and so on? All right. The other thing that I'm interested in beyond the success rate is applying it to things that matter. And this was the biggest thing for me with strategic sorcery. Uh, I see people all the time do magic that works for stupid things that don't really matter in the long run. You know, Um, people that, that will come on and they will brag, you know, I did this three hour long ceremony to contact Ouroboros or Boone and you know and then what happened is somebody ended my neighbor ended up giving me a whole cord of firewood which would have cost me like $300 so boom 300 bucks and I'm looking at this going 300 bucks that was 3 hours of your life <laughs> like <laughs> you know this this was a ma- you know and god knows how much planning this is a major spiritual undertaking that you did and you got some firewood right like it's cool that you got a result and i'm no better i i can point to all kinds of magic i did younger that wound up with a little extra pocket money yeah, well, you know, enough, if you're if you're an apprentice at some at some point, then why not? Exactly. Right. It gets you a <laughs> right. date. It gets you know. It gets you over a sickness a little bit quicker. It gets it it it, it you know whatever it is these yeah. small things, and so I started to think like, why don't we get more strategic about how we aim our magic? Right. So that we're aiming at stuff that matters instead. And and instead of just doing magic with the hopes that something miraculous is going to happen. And, and sometimes miraculous stuff really does happen. 
like absolute paranormal, mind blowing effects. But you can't count on that all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not every time. It's not right. even most times. So if we're going to start making magic part of our lives, part of how we do things, mm-hmm. we have to start applying it strategically. We have to make a plan that works without magic and then use magic to make sure that that plan will work. And will work even better. Or, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Optimize it. Mm-hmm. Overcome the obstacles. So a plan that could work is, you know, getting a business underway, is becoming a sorcerer, you know, a, a pay, you know, a, a, a professional sorcerer. That was my big thing. Yeah. Um, but whatever the thing is, people have to make a plan. And I know that, you know, I'm, I think most people understand that you do mad. You do magic and then you have to follow it up, right? With with mundane action. People always yeah. like to say. Yeah. Uh I always have heard, you know, first you do the working and then you do the work. Right? Right. Right. And so I get like that's good. It stops you from uh that's a good philosophy, but it's not a great philosophy. Mm. It's not great strategy. Right. It it does stop you from like, you know, doing a spell to get laid and then sitting at home watching Netflix all the time, wondering why no one is having sex with you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, it like no one has rung my doorbell yet. I don't know what's going on. This worked out for Jack Parsons. But, um, <laughs> you know, um, but it's still not enough. It's not, it's not strategic. Strategic is making that plan and using magic at each step so that the magical and the mundane are always playing off one another Yeah. at every stage until you get where you want to be. Um, and that's in a nutshell, strategic sorcery. It involves figuring out what is enchantable and what is not. It involves approaching things from different angles. It involves uh, taking advantage of the cards that were dealt and utilizing them to the best of our ability. It involves, uh, well, you know, a whole lot of aspects. But right, right, that's right. the nutshell of it. Sounds interesting. Um, You have mentioned two other courses. I see on your on your website, I see four different um, courses, right? The strategic sorcery course, then Hecate uh, St. Cyprian. We mentioned that I would like to come back to them in a second and take back your mind, which is a kind of mindfulness thing, if I if I get it right. So but is the strategic sorcery course like like the basic the basic course for the three others or at least two of the three others or is it independent are the four independent how how do you all all the courses are independent Mm -hmm. and believe it or not i have more courses than that just i don't i I would have believed that yes (laughs) i i just uh i i i advertise those mostly within the 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 community that that gets involved with me through one of those but right right i actually i have to really redo the website soon um but i'll take you on a quick tour so 
Strategic sorcery is is probably it's my oldest course. It's the course most people know me for. It is an email course. So when you sign up, it just caught co- it costs $150 flat up front and you get one year of emails. Mm-hmm. And you get access to the strategic sorcery group, which is a Facebook group. It's a secret Facebook group. Great people. Uh, it, it turns out that if you if everyone has a little skin in the game as far as they they've paid to be there and you have some basic rules like, hey, we're going to maintain politeness and we're not going to, you know, just some basic rules. Groups like this can be a wonderful benefit as long as there's, you know, good moderation, valuing the quality of the experience over, say, the freedom to post whatever kind of flame war I want. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) sure. Right. So, you know, like I've deleted things and been like, look, you're an old friend of mine, but that was just rude. I even agree with you, but you were not nice. So it's gone. Um, So you've got access to this wonderful group and global rights that we do uh, five times a year and and so on. Uh, Then there's the Sorcery of Hecate course. Mm-hmm. That whereas strategic sorcery is, is is general, it can be used by almost anyone. It has been designed to be used by people from almost any tradition, and it assumes, in fact, although it could be your only tradition, it assumes that you will be applying a lot of the lessons to other traditions as well. Right. So it might very well be the first magical training ever designed that assumed that the student had been doing other things. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think mm-hmm. most magical trainings and orders and so on kind of assume they just take it as if you're just got into magic and they've got you and you're the, the only voice they're going to hear. Uh, and, so, and even, and even they often want that. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't want that. I, I want you to have a nice big, uh, you know, experience in this, wonderland that we call the occult. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I assume that that is the case. Um, the strategic, the uh, Sorcery of Hecate course is very specific. So whereas the other course is really wide, now we're talking about really seven months to learn one ritual. Okay. It's a very complex ritual with a lot of different facets. Um, but there's a commitment to say a mantra every day. There's, and you need to learn one thing before you learn another. And and some things you will need to have gained competency in a previous lesson before you can tackle it. So it's, it's an intense course. Like that's, that's probably the most intense course that I offer. Mm-hmm. Um, where there is a right way and there is a wrong way. And so what you get is one week there's a lesson and then the following week there's an audio Q&A where I answer everyone's questions. Right. So every every lesson you have the opportunity to ask as many questions as you want. And as anyone will tell you, I spend hours 
like going over minutia. If you ask it, I will answer. Mm-hmm. I may not know the answer to your question, <laughs> but I'll at least acknowledge that fact and say, okay, so let's figure out how we can work this out for you. Right. Um, right. But, you know, most of the time we're, we're good. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, the black school program is That's a the St. Cyprian thing, right? St. Cyprian, yeah. The mm. Black School of St. Cyprian. So this is a completely different course from Sorcery of Hecate. It doesn't involve mantras or anything like that. It is a system of working with spirits. First, it, it's a system of relating to St. Cyprian, God, and the devil. Mm-hmm. And in a in a very visceral bodily way, and then is having established that connection and that spiritual authority, it then goes through different modes of working with demons and different powers. Right. So what I mean by different modes is we teach classical evocation. In fact, a very specific style of evocation. Uh, But we also teach through invitation and offering, you can contact spirits. And and why might you want to switch between those modes for different spirits and or different results? Mm -hmm. We also teach ways of working with the seals directly in spell work. Um, where a full appearance or communication is not necessarily the goal, but working with the powers of that spirit is. So there's all these different facets to that Cyprianic work. Uh, And then take back your mind is a very no nonsense. There's, I I actually took out all the, any woo woo elements. So this is a course that, you could give to your boss at work who is just completely non-magical because it is a mindfulness course that is designed with the Western lifestyle in mind. Okay. And by that, I mean, there's a lot of meditation courses out there and what they amount to, not all of them, but what a lot of them amount to is Stuff that was taught to monks and nuns and yogis kind of watered down and given to people that are not monks and nuns and yogis. Sort of like, well, you're not going to be a monk or a nun or a yogi, but at least you can do some of the things they do at your home. The problem is a lot of those methods are dependent upon the lifestyle that those monks and nuns are living. If you're not living that lifestyle, not all of those practices are appropriate. So what I did is I went through and gathered the most optimized mindfulness practices that I knew of that worked well for me in a, a Western lifestyle where we would be devoting 20 to 40 minutes a day to practice and then punctuating our day with all these little mindful moments or ways of analyzing the mind 
in the thick of the things that we do every day, as opposed to a, a lifetime of, of a renunciate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That sounds very interesting because I, I think uh, uh, what you address here is a problem that we really find in many of those classes. And I'm not talking about Abramelin and all those things that come from another time, but uh, even co- um, contemporary um, teachings that are given in a way that are not appropriate to the life of the 21st century. And that is a problem because it it either creates dreamers or it puts people off. Yeah. You know, um, there there's a an ad that Shambhala, the uh, the the organization founded by Chogim Trungpa, puts out and it's for their one month retreat, which is fine. It, it's 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 I'm sure it's a fine retreat. I haven't done it, but I have been on retreat. So I know what it's like. Um, just not that retreat, but they have faces before the retreat and after the retreat. And that's the ad, right? They're showing you this face that's not miserable, but they're, you know, they look stressed, Mm. they look concerned. Mm. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards they have this slight smile, this beatific grin. Mm. And, you know, it's supposed to communicate like this could be you after 30 days of not having, you know, of meditation, but yeah. it's also you after 30 days of not having to deal with your life. Yeah, sure. So yeah. it's kind of like, you may as well just show people coming back from vacation. Yeah. yeah. What I, I want to see, see is yeah. what are those faces like 30 days after the end of the retreat mm-hmm. and having been on long retreats, I can tell you it's difficult. Because life snaps back, it uh, it hits yeah. you in the face. And, with and like, if you don't, if you don't, are not careful, it goes even worse than before. Because we have seen something else, and uh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it sure. Can, sure. It can be a lot worse. Yeah, it can be yeah. a lot worse. Yeah. I, I when I came back from Nepal, which wasn't a, a retreat, but it was it was like a retreat. It was an extended period of study immersed in Tibetan culture Mm -hmm. uh, during which I had many little retreats and empowerments and things like that. But I didn't work, you know, (laughs) I, I I had saved up to be over there. And so that occupied my mind day in Mm -hmm. and day out. Mm -hmm. And when I came back, people at my old job at AIG, they looked at me and they're like, Oh my God, you look so just Zen and wonderful. And, and it's great. And three weeks later, people were saying the exact opposite. (laughs) They're like, you look more harried than you have ever looked. Like what is, what is like, you were never this stressed before. Mm -hmm. And part of it is that, you know, before that I was sort of living the Gen X slacker lifestyle in the city After that, you know, which was then punctuated in this retreat like atmosphere. And now it was sort of like, okay, I'm in my 30s. I can't be a slacker. And I've already decided I don't want to just be a Dharma bum. (laughs) So, you know, I got a real job and and all that kind of jazz. So, yeah. uh, What I wanted is a meditation, a mindfulness program that there is no before and after picture there's a constant 
onward and upward momentum because it integrates into your life. Right, right. Well, that sounds great. Sorry to say that we are already coming to the end of this interview and of this show, but it's really fascinating. Um, Jason, uh, one, one final question to you. Um, I would like to hear where you're going to from here. So some specific plans, some specific ideas you're going to develop or realize soon. I'm not talking about the things that start like today or tomorrow. I know you're starting the day that we release this interview, the, the, a new program, which is called the Helios Global Success Ride, I believe. And um, I'm not talking about this because this, this interview will be listened to also in a few months and hopefully a year. And um, so what's your Uh, mid-range plans what are you going to develop in the near future what's where do you go from here what is jason miller going to be in a year or, or five years from now well uh i have i am working on a new book it'll be a bigger book than i have ever done before uh so i'm thinking maybe twice the size of the sorcerer's secrets Uh, and that book is my tome about spirit work. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's going to cover every aspect of it. It's, it's something that I have integrated into my other books, but not as much as is really representative in my practice. Right. So I just started it. That's going to take a couple of years, uh, a year or two to, to finish up. Uh, and get together, but it's all outlined and everything now. Mm -hmm. uh, I have stopped consulting, actually. Uh, all right. You mentioned mm -hmm. my author, consultant, etc. Mm -hmm. I have actually, other than a few repeat clients, I am maxed out. Right. So I have actually backed away from consulting uh, entirely. So I am, I am now dropping the consultant aspects other than for people that I'm, I'm already working with. I'm working right. with a few people and a few companies. Mm -hmm. So I'll continue to do some work here and there. Uh, but in general, my, my days as a reader and consultant and, and spirit worker for people are over. Right. Um, and, but other than that, I, I want to get this book out. I have a few more courses in me that I am excited about. I am just wrapping up now a course on Purba, Sorcery of the Razor Nail, mm -hmm. which is my way of teaching the Vajrakilaya practice. Um, and so I will probably, that has only been offered to people in the strategic sorcery community. Mm -hmm. I may offer that to a wider community mm -hmm. and beyond that, we'll see where life leads. Sure. Well, that's all, always important to do that, isn't it? Well, Jason, thank you so much for that fascinating talk. Do you have a final message, a final word for our audience in regards to your, your teachings and in regards to what is your conviction as well? Yes. Um, the, the message that I want to give out is that you are what you think about. You are what you do every day. And 
if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you think a lot about magic and you do a lot of magic. So think about what you're aiming that magic out. If it's money, if it's love, if it's power, if it's serenity, if it's being a healer, whatever it is, start devoting an equal amount of time to those things outside of magic. And it will actually catalyst the magic that you do. So if you're a healer, if you start studying anatomy and, and uh, the body, it will increase your ability to do magical healing. If you're working on financial sorcery, study money and the movement of money and personal finance and business, and it will catalyst your ability to do magic in those fields. You are what you think about and what you do. Well, I think that's a great final message and very important. Thank you so much, Jason, to be with us today here on the Thoughts Hermes podcast. I'm very grateful for your time. And it was a good hour that we spent together. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Infectus Superi, Dark Magic Music by Peter Grandry, was the last of three pieces you could hear today on this episode of the Thoth Hermes podcast. And of course, you were listening to my interview with author, teacher and sorcerer Jason Miller. I do hope you enjoyed the talk and that we could answer some of the questions that you have and open some new thoughts to discussion. I find it personally very important for every occultist, magician or hermeticist, whatever you call yourself, to be interested and curious for all kinds of different paths, ideas and thoughts. Discuss them, appreciate them. And Jason is a good example for that. Before we now come to the end of our episode, I still owe you the announcement of our next show. Number 47 and it will be the countdown to 50 and the special thing is running. And I am very happy to present to you in episode 6 of the current season a very interesting and also very kind couple from the United Kingdom, the inventors, owners and managers of the wonderful publishing house Scarlet Imprint, themselves occultists, artists and very interesting thinkers, Alkistis Dimek and Peter Gray. We had a lovely discussion about their work and occultism in general, and I'm really looking forward to presenting it to you next week, starting on February 9th, 2020. For today, I'm now saying goodbye to you. It was lovely to have you with me as my audience. Once again, do comment, do communicate and do become a patron. I'm waiting for you. For now, I can only say, take care, stay tuned, hear you soon.